was seen this TV show. It was only on two seasons called Touch. My son got, got me into it, and uh, Kiefer Sutherland's on it, so he's a, you know, maybe you recognize his face from another show. But um, the whole idea of this show is interesting. It's this, this idea of there's a young boy who doesn't speak, but he's a genius, and, and, and the sequence of numbers that he keeps creating is somehow tied to helping people. And, and even predicting a little bit of the future, of course, the, you know, the idea maybe doesn't fully work out in real life, but the story is about this, how this boy, though he can't speak, and yet in, in what he does know, and his, his really how much of a genius he is, he longs to help people and help people connect. And every time the show begins, uh, even though he doesn't speak in the show, he narrates the beginning. And, and I love uh, how, how he does that and some of the things that he kind of brings up. And one of the things he talked about at, one, at the beginning of one show as he narrates, he, he reminds us of the first transatlantic telegraph tape cable that was pulled through the Atlantic Ocean. 340,500 miles of copper and iron wire designed to stretch 2,875.95 miles along the ocean floor. I mean, just imagine that. And once in place, they were going to use electric uh, impulses to signal each other to send messages on the other side of the ocean. And uh, just think about that for a moment. When this little boy narrates the end of that show, he says this. He says, human beings are hardwired with the impulses to share our ideas and the desire to know we've been heard. It's all part of our need for community. That's why we're constantly sending out signals and signs. It's why we look for them from other people. We're always waiting for messages, always hoping for connection. And I think there's some truth in what this little boy narrates and this idea of why humanity longs for this. I mean, where does that come from? Where does the, the longing to connect, the longing to send and receive messages, the longing to communicate, why are we like that? Last week, we kicked off this brand new series called Image Bearers, and we looked at the early pages of Genesis, where the scriptures tell us that we are created in the image of God. So when we ask this question, why do we long to connect? Why do we long for beauty? And we asked some questions last week. One of the answers is because we've been created in the image of God. We clarified last week, we're not God. We're not equal with God but we have been created in his likeness. So we answered two questions last week. Who is God and who are we? But to answer the who are we question, we went back and asked, well, who is God? And we looked through Genesis 1 and discovered a few things about God that we said, oh, wow, there's, I, I think I bear part of God's characteristics. God, and today what I want to kind of focus on, we talked about this just really in passing last week, that God is a relator. In other words, that God is relational. And one of the things I, I want to just get across today as we jump back into Genesis 1 is this. Because God is relational and we're made in his image, we're created for relationship. Because God is relational and we're made in his, in his image, we are created for relationship. So I want to jump back into Genesis and look at two things. One, how actually God, is, God was in relationship and how God actually relates to humanity. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis chapter 1. It's also going to be on the screen. And we're going to read a few verses uh, from what we read last week and go a little bit further in, in, in this topic. So here it is, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said... 
Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Just pause with me another few seconds to invite God to speak to us today. Um, Lord, we always long for you to be at work when we open the scriptures. And so we just come with a posture of learning and growth and desire for you to speak today. Amen. Amen. Think about that. We, we looked a little bit, we looked at this last week a bit, and here's this one phrase at the end of that. It says that not only did God create us in his image, male and female he created. In other words, there's an expression of God that can only be an ex- expressed in plurality, that cannot be expressed only in one person or one gender. In other words, one single person doesn't fully express God's image. But here we read that male and female, the human race, in some way was necessary to reflect God's image. And we start with this way. How does this happen? And we want to say one idea first, that God is actually in relationship. Why is it that humanity is created for relationships? And I want to look at this idea that God actually is in relationship. When God creates humanity, he says these words, let us, the plural, let us create man in our image. If we jump back to Genesis chapter 1, it's interesting to see what Genesis 1 looks like. And let's just read this with me. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, and then God starts to create. Many people would look at this and say, right at the early beginning of scripture, we see God in three persons, what we call the Trinity. We have God the Father creating. We have God the Holy Spirit hovering, overseeing. And then God speaks and if you, if you just kind of take for a moment, jump with me to John chapter 1. When the gospel writer starts his gospel, look, look at what he says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. The, the gospel writer John speaking about Jesus here. And he gives him the, calls him this title, the word, the logos, and says that in the beginning the word was with God and the word was creating. It's like this, the earliest idea of God in three persons of the Trinity is existent right in the pages of creation, that God's in community. You know, it's crazy because it took the church four centuries until the fourth century. A guy named Gregory of Nyssa and some others in that time period who, who were able to finally articulate this complex theological truth that God exists in three persons. And theologians love to use this word. It's not a word you'll use at, the, you know, at work tomorrow, but it's the word called perichoresis. And uh, yeah, I doubt you'll use that tomorrow at you know, coffee uh, break with friends. But perichoresis is this theological word that, that talks about the very heart of God being in community. And the word in Greek actually gives this kind of idea that there's a loving dance going on within the Trinity. And like dancing is not possible. Well, you can dance on your own. I'm sure you do in front of the mirror and stuff. But dancing has this sense of like, it's great to have a partner, right? Love, is love possible without a relationship? And I don't mean romantic love, just love in general. Love requires 
something else, someone else. And so we get this idea that there's a loving dance within the Godhead, God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son. One 18th century um, preacher and theologian, his name was Jonathan Edwards, he coined this phrase, intra-Trinitarian, that there's love between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, and that it existed before creation. John writes of Jesus, or Jesus says this in a prayer in John chapter 17. He says, the Father is in me and I am in him. Jesus is trying to describe something that exists in the relationship he has with his Father and with the Holy Spirit. Why am I saying all this? Because right from the beginning, this is just can blow our mind for a moment, God existed in relationship. Here's maybe three, three four phrases that helps us figure that out. God was in relationship before creation. He exists in relationship. He creates out of relationship. And he creates relational beings. And that's because God is relational. Think about uh, what happens later in Genesis chapter 2. We just read in Genesis chapter 1, right? God created male and female in his image. But in chapter 2, the the story unpacks it even further. takes day 6 of creation and opens it up a little bit for us. And we read in chapter 2, verse 18, uh, right from the beginning, we read these, these words. The Lord said, after man is created, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a suitable helper for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals, all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he could name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, all the wild animals. So here's a little bit of unpacking of what's happening on day six of creation. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. That word helper in Hebrew, it's the word ezer. It doesn't mean like, okay, uh, man needs a job mate. Man needs a personal assistant. Uh, This helper actually addresses what we just read before. It's not good for man to be alone. And so the sense of a helper is bringing relationship in. Now, too often we look at this and only kind of limit our view to like the romantic and the intimate. But this is for all of humanity, that there's community that God created us for. Like God didn't create Adam to be like Tarzan of the animal kingdom, right? That's maybe the image you get from movies or the storybook. But the idea is this, God is relational and he creates relational beings. And I think we get that. Last week, my wife and I participated in this block party on our street, and it was so fun. We saw tons of people come to the park uh, behind our house, and, and some people that we knew, and some people that we didn't know, and some neighbors met neighbors that they didn't know before. But here, this was so cool that, that we, you know, this invitation went out, and like 70, 80 people come and hang out on the grass one, one Sunday afternoon. And I thought, why? Like, half of these people haven't seen each other in seven, eight years. Some don't know each other. And people were saying, oh, yeah, I'm going to come. I'm going I'm to come out. And it was so beautiful to see what took place right on our street or you know, in our neighborhood is that people came. And when they left, they all said, this was so good to meet each other. This was so good that we got a chance to connect with one, one another. It was one, one of my neighbors um, who met a friend of mine who's also a neighbor, but they don't know each other. But I know both of them. And this one guy's lived on our street for seven years. And, and my neighbor, Steve, said, man, I've, like, I've never seen them. Not once. But they had an awesome time getting to know each other on the grass that day. And it was amazing to feel and sense this longing from people. 
in their appreciation, in their sense like, this was so good. Thank you for making this happen. And when I, when I, when I st- stepped back and I saw it, I'm like, we have, humanity's created for relationship. Humanity's encouraged by relationship. Humanity's supported by relationship. Humanity exists within relationship. And sometimes we just want to, you know, kind of, you know, kind of find out the scientific reason why that happens. Or, and, we, and there's some proof of understanding how that works. But we read in the scriptures that the God of the universe, the God we serve, Father, Son, and Spirit is a relational God. And he's created us as relational beings. That's why that longing is there. There's another part of God that is so helpful here. And it's not just that God was created in relationship but that God actually relates to humanity. This is amazing because what we see in the Genesis story, God who is in relationship with humanity. Check out Genesis chapter three, verse eight. I love what we see in this verse. This is now, now post what happens here between Genesis two and three is that Adam and Eve, and probably you know the story, but if you don't, they end up disobeying God and feeling disconnected from God. They, they, they wanted that, the knowledge and, uh, of, who, of what God was like and to kind of be like him in that way. And in their disobedience, they feel disconnected. Sin takes place and breaks relationship. And look at this. Then man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden. Now, I'm assuming God's not walking in the garden like a landlord. Like, yeah, I own this place. Uh, I'm here to collect rent. Um, thank you. Uh, you know, what was your name again? Your room, you're like door four. You know, I, I get this sense that that God was doing this already. And he also did it that day, even after relationship was broken. He's walking in the garden, the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord. Just think about that for a second among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? And he answered, "I, I heard you were in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And he says, well, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? You see what's going on here? Just that question, where are you? Where are you? God's calling, reaching. And there's a sense here in verse 10 and, 10 and 11 that shame is, is taking place inside of their hearts. Why would shame take place inside of their hearts if they never had a relationship with God to begin with? But what's demonstrated here is that they know something is broken from what they already had. God was already relating to them. God was already reaching out to them. God was already in relationship with them. And they knew that. And their shame demonstrates that they miss it already, that they feel something has broken. But it already existed and I love this picture of God here because what we see from God is not that only that God has been in relationship with the Father, Son, and Spirit, but that God actually relates to us. And you walk through the scriptures, and it doesn't stop with Adam and Eve. Abraham hears God's voice. Moses is called by, by God. Elijah hears God's whisper as God tries to get his attention. God speaks to Israel through the prophets. God sends his only son, Jesus, in the climax of the story to to be a, a voice for the world to discover who God is, to hear God's voice. Jesus later, as he's, he's, he's seeing people follow him, he says, he talks about those who follow him, and he says, my sheep hear my voice. God sends his Holy Spirit to write his law on our hearts. God's always relating with humanity. God is, a, is not just a relational God. He relates to us. 
He's always relating to us. I love this image of Jesus when he chooses his 12 disciples in Mark chapter 3 and he says, I'm choosing you to be with me. Even Jesus reflects God's heart of being a relator. He doesn't say, I'm just choosing you for a purpose. He did call them and say, I'm going to call you to be fishers of men. But he says, I'm choosing you to be with me. He's, he's building a relationship with them. God never stops relating to humanity. And so this says something about you and me, that if we're image bearers, like we talked about last week, one of the things, one of the key characteristics of what it means to be human comes as we relate to, be, to one another. In fact, we're most like God and we're most like his image in relationship to him and other people. Did you catch that? We are most like God when, and reflecting his image when we're in relationship with him and with other, with other people. And so often, people are asking, like, you know, who is God? And are you sure God exists? And I think one of the beautiful things we can point them to is this truth that we are created in a relational way for him and for others. In fact, one of the things I love talking to friends about or people about when they ask me about things like the, the early parts of scripture or Genesis or creation, often I don't even talk about the creation story in that way. I just ask them, like, do you, like what, kind of, what are the ma- three major relationships that you feel are so important to you? And often people will talk about, I want, I want meaning and purpose and I think there's something beyond this or beyond me. So they're talking about this, this relationship with God, even though they can't describe it in that way. They, they talk about the relationship they have with people and how they wish it could be better or whatever. They talk about the relationship with the planet and the world. We live in this world. What does that mean? How do we relate to the world? And I just, I love taking people back to the story of Genesis and says, you know, God created you exactly for these relationships to be in relationship with him, with each other, and with the world. And the brokenness you feel is in those relationships. You actually feel brokenness in a relationship with God, with the people around you, and with the planet. But God's plan and love for you is to actually restore that. And without even getting into the logistics or technicalities or you know the verses of, well, how did God create? And how did this really happen? Often people say, you know what? That's actually really, that's true. That's true. Everybody I meet, that's true about them and about me. Maybe there's something about this God. And so we see this in what it means to be an image bearer. But here's here's a couple of things to kind of bring some application. Like, what can we learn from Genesis for our own relationships? And I think one that we often kind of like miss, because often, I don't know about you, but people look for tools. You know, tell me, what can I do? What can I say? Um, Is there like three steps to a good relationship? In Genesis, when we discover that we are image bearers, one of the most beautiful things that that, that, that that gives us is that we realize the value in other people. We realize the value in ourselves. The perception that we have of people. Imagine that every... Now, this is hard to believe sometimes. Imagine that every person you meet is a reflection of their creator. How would that change your relationships? How would that change... If you're married, the way you look at your spouse, like she's, oh, she's an image bearer of God. I know I'm mad at her this morning, but she's an image bearer of God. How that, how you would treat your husband. Oh man, why did he do that? But oh, you know what? There's something about him that I sometimes miss. He's an image bearer. What about your kids or your, your parents or your friends or your coworkers? When, when you look at a coworker before just kind of like, 
you know, figuring out who they are and what they're about and, and their quirks. What if you pause and said, okay, wait a second. About, about, you know, among all the things that they are, they're an image bearer. How would that change your relationships at work? How would that change your relationships with maybe your boss or, or your employers? What if every person we met, those closest to us and those that are even just new acquaintances, we applied God's words in day six? They are very good. That's not a moral statement. That's a statement of value. What if you applied that to the people in your life? Because when God created them, he said they're very good. That's what he said in Genesis, 6, in Genesis 2, uh, 1. They're very good. So, so our perceived value with people. Um, here's another thing. How do you leave people when you're with them? Like when someone leaves a conversation with you, when someone leaves a party that you're hosting or you're at, when someone leaves even an interaction um, at work, how, how do they leave? How do you leave them? Do they leave feeling like you have valued them? Like, what if your friend felt more like an image bearer when you left them? What if your co-worker felt like more of an image bearer when the conversation was over? What would happen? What, what, would, what would your marriage be like if your actions, part of, part of how you wanted to treat your spouse is, I want to make sure that my spouse feels like he or she is an image bearer. How would that change? How do people leave when they're with you? Or how do you leave people when you're with them? I think that's so huge. Here's, a, here's another piece. Imagine just simply this idea of communicating with people, of talking with people. I, I love you know, that show Touch I was talking about. One of uh, this little kid's narratives, he says this, In spite of all our communication technology, no invention is as effective as the sound of the human voice. When we hear a human voice, we instinctively want to listen in the hopes of understanding it. Even when the speaker is searching for the right words to say. Even when we hear yelling or crying or singing. What if you, like the next time you say happy birthday to someone, you don't post it on their wall, their Facebook wall. But like you call them and say, hey, it's Joseph's birthday today. I think he's helping with the youth. So if you've seen Joseph today, uh, Joseph Vibau, like, hey, I want to say happy birthday to you. What? Imagine you didn't just post that. Imagine when you wanted to share something important with a friend, you didn't just text them, but you met them for coffee. What about the, when, when you do something or you hurt someone, whether it's intentional or not, you physically, with your voice, say, I'm sorry, and talk to them. There's something about the human voice. Don't stay in unforgiveness. Confess. This morning, we're going to leave our gathering, and for some people, it's going to be like, this is the last time I talk to God until next week. But what if with your voice throughout the week, you're talking to God and sharing and praying and worshiping and confessing and praying? It's amazing how much our voice makes a difference in how we nurture relationships. And especially today. I don't know about you, but when I've called someone up, uh, instead of just posting something or sending a text, I can sense like there's something that says, oh, thank you for valuing me today. It was something about that. But let's, I want to end in a different way today. Because I know that all of us here, in some way or another, we all struggle with relationships. And, and there's a reason why. And the reason is sin. We just read in Genesis 3 that Adam and Eve felt ashamed 
and they were trying to hide from God. And I bet you, in one way or another, many of us say, well, yeah, I know I'm built for relationships, but I often struggle to nurture them, or I often mess them up, or I often say the wrong thing, or I, there's something in me that, that you know, makes a relationship uh, worse when I'd like it to get better. In Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve disobey God, blame sets in. So what do they do? They blame each other. When God says, what happened, right? Uh, Adam blames Eve, and Eve blames the serpent, and they're blaming each other. That's sin. That's the brokenness of their relationship with God and one another. And sin breaks our relationship. What happens is we run from God instead of running to him. That's what Adam and Eve did. And we often blame each other instead of helping each other. Sin actually breaks down our relationship. So here's the thing. It's so awesome to say, I'm created in God's image. I'm created for relationships. That's so inspiring. That's cool. But we know. We we mess it up. We break relationships. We hurt. And it happens because of sin. You know this. I know this. Sin leads me to put my work at times ahead of my, my, my wife and kids. That's sinful. That's not just a, a godly ambition. Sin will lead me to blame someone else for something instead of taking the blame myself. That, that's sin. Sin often makes me look like, want to look better in a conversation and cooler. So I say something that maybe props myself up and I, I don't really help the situation. That's sin. That's pride. That's a fear of failure. That's a, that's a fear of what, how will other, others perceive me. That's a brokenness inside me that, that has happened because of sin. And that messes up relationships. When, when you find yourself doing that, when I find myself doing that, I got to recognize that's not a good thing. That's a brokenness in me. What about you? How does sin mess up or hurt your relationships? How does pride or selfishness or envy or lack of contentment or lust hurt your relationships? You know, so often we want to talk about sin as this legal thing, right? And if you heard theologians talk about it or preachers, and it's not that it's not true. Like we'll say, sin is like breaking the law. And the Reformation, in a heightened way, helped us see that justification by faith kind of cleared the law so now we can have a relationship with God. And that's not wrong. That's, that's right. But it, doesn't it sound like a legal contract? It's more than that. Sin is actually hyper-relational. It's actually more relational than it is legal because it's the brokenness or the breaking of relationship. See, adultery doesn't break a contract it ruins a relationship it's it's not necessarily a contractual thing that that is messed up it's a covenant that's messed up stealing doesn't just break the law it breaks somebody else it hurts somebody it's relational think of the 10 commandments that we we say commandment and it sounds like a law right but when you read through the 10 commandments first few are about our relationship with god and the others are a relationship with each other it's all relational the Ten Commandments are all about our relationship with God and our relationship with others. Scott McKnight says this. He says, sin is clearly breaking the law, but more deeply, it is a violation of loving God and loving others. When we sin, we often hurt relationships. Here's the beautiful thing of the scriptures. We've been created in God's image to, to be fruitful in relationships. We know sin has damaged that. And image bearers, you and me, and everybody on the planet will face those broken relationships from time to time. But here's the amazing thing. Even though sin is hyper-relational, God is even more relational. 
Even though sin affects relationships, even though sin uh, is, is very hyper-relational, God is even more relational. Our relational God, the God who relates to us, when we come into a relationship with him, he begins to restore us. He begins to change us. And he, this is the amazing thing. It's when we get, start to get right and our relationship with God horizontally is transformed, our relationship with other people starts to get affected and is transformed. I want to leave you with this text from Ephesians chapter 2. And it's so amazing because in God's wisdom, in his love, even though he's created us as image bearers to be in relationship, and even though sin has damaged that, God's love made a way because he loves us, he pursues us to, to restore that. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians, talking about what Jesus did. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. And I love this last line. It brings us all together. For through him, Jesus, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. The Father, Son, and Spirit, the relational God who's created us in his image. When our relationship broke between him and others, he made a way to restore us back. And they're all involved the God and three persons that we worship are all involved in restoring our relationship with, with him and our relationship with each other. That's a promise for each and every one of us. That's the first step to restoring relationships. Let's stand as we close in prayer today. Bless your name, Jesus. Thank you, God. Bless your name, Jesus. I don't know if our worship team is here. They can come up as we close this morning. Bless your name, Jesus. Thank you, God. You know, maybe for some of you today, there was a sense that this just helped you realize, oh, like who God is and the the truth of how he has created you. Maybe it's, it's going to help you see people in a different light as you step into your week this week. And maybe you're already recognizing in your mind and your heart, there's people that I have belittled or people that I've undervalued or people that I have hurt and you've never seen them as an image bearer. You've never once looked at them in the face and recognized that God has created them to be his image bearer. If you guys get ready, good father, maybe it's a good song to consider. Um, oh, what, what could be different if that would change? What could be different if that can change? And maybe for you, you're thinking, I'm, I'm not good at relationships. I mess relationships up. But the God of the universe created you for a relationship and he's paved a way through Jesus to restore our hearts. You know, the goal of coming to Jesus is not to fix our relationship problems in the world. It's because he's greater and better than anything else. 
that we could ever come to. But the beauty is that when we do come to him, the overflow of what he does in our lives affects the things around us, affects the people around us. So this morning, however you need this truth in your life, I just want to give you a moment um, to come to God and invite him to do his work in you and then through you in the relationships around you. And I'd love to just sing uh, together as we're reflecting on that, just affirming that we have a good, good father, uh, that we're loved by him, and we can celebrate the fact that we serve a relational God and we serve a God who relates to us and keeps pursuing us and keeps pursuing people in our world. So take some time as we sing and worship to bring your own things to the Lord this morning. as I pray right now just uh, bring your life your heart your relationships to the Lord invite him to transform your heart through the power of the gospel if you're here today and you don't have a sense that you're reconciled with your heavenly father he sent Jesus for that purpose he came and preached peace to us peace to reconcile us back to our Heavenly Father. If you've lived with the sense of brokenness, brokenness from that image that you've been created in, coming to Jesus, trusting Him as Lord and Savior is the step to being restored into being who God created you to be. Father, right now, as we, many people in this place are lifting up their lives, their hearts, their relationships to you, maybe their perceptions of people to you that they are confessing. Father, first of all, we say thank you that you have shown us why we long for community. That right in who you are, in the beautiful mystical, complex way of you being Father, Son, and Spirit. We serve and love and are created by a relational God. And we thank you that you have related to us, that you've reached out to us all throughout history, through your word, and through your son Jesus. We say thank you. Thank you that we can see this in you and that we have experienced it. And so, God, we long to reflect this part of your nature, this part of your likeness in healthy ways. And so we invite Jesus, your son, whom you sent to preach peace and reconciliation to us, to bring us back to you and to overflow into our relationships with others. God, we embrace that. We take that in. For anyone today doing that for the first time, may they discover in all fullness who Jesus, your son, is as they put their trust in him. Bless you, God. For in Jesus, you have given us access to you, our Father, by one Holy Spirit. And we say amen to that. Amen. God bless you, everyone. Have a wonderful day. 
a wonderful week. And um, we'll see you next week as we continue this series together.